Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noah. Uh, I am Ben. You are you. Don't call it a comeback, ladies and gentlemen. But wait, can we get a uh, slam on the brakes noise, Noel? <laughs> Perfect. You can, in fact, call this a comeback because this is part two of our interview with Robert Mazur. In our previous episode, which we do recommend you listen to before listening to this, if you if you haven't yet, go ahead and stop this, listen to part one. We'll be here. And in this episode, we're going to focus on money laundering. In the previous episode, it was all about the operations. Uh, in this one, it's what's happening right now. Are there still banks out there that are taking money from drug cartels and somehow funneling, funneling them through banks in, in Europe and other places and then getting money that they can use just out in the open? And not to mention, I mean, so much of what is going on now um, has been built off of the work that Mr. Mazur did in terms of exposing some of these techniques that the banks use that we will talk about in much more detail in this part of the interview. Um, so you could kind of look at part one as sort of a history and this part two being sort of more of a, of a 
present and moving forward kind of perspective mm-hmm. on where we are now and, and where all of this insane undercover work that Mr. Mazur did has led us to. Spot on. So first, let's take a little bit of a closer look at what money laundering actually is. There's a great article on it at our parent website, How Stuff Works. I know that site. Yes, yes, I would hope that we are, uh, the three of us are familiar with that site. We hope you are too, ladies and gentlemen. In the article, How Money Laundering Works, uh, the author here, let's see, the author is Julia Layton, and you always know it's going to be a good article if Julia's writing. Uh, the, uh, the author explains money laundering in in this way. First, it's very common. Money laundering happens in almost every country in the world. Second, there are numerous avenues of money laundering, right? Uh, so one scheme, for instance, would typically involve transferring money through several different countries to obscure where it came from, right? So we know that a million dollars coming from France or London or the U.S., is treated with less suspicion than a million dollars coming from Colombia, for instance, or a million dollars just appearing in Afghanistan, right? Mm -hmm. Or in the case of the U.S. military, millions of dollars disappearing somewhere. So at its simplest, it's just the act of making money that comes from source A look like it comes from source B. So this is not the money from a cocaine empire. This is the money from a legitimate yet ridiculously successful series of laundromats. Or what's another? Come on, laundromats for laundering money? <laughs> it's That's a, little a little on, on the on nose. The nose. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it reminds me of... The onion router a little bit. I was going to say, or even like a VPN where it like takes, you know, it, it obscures your location, um, like so that you, you can't pin down where the person that's doing the illegal downloading or whatever it is actually is. And it basically disguises their IP address. That same thing occurred to me. Totally. Or, yeah. Or if anything, it, it slows the process of tracking it way, way down. Right. So for fans of the television show Breaking Bad, if we want to have a pop culture reference in here, uh, for fans of that show, laser tag. Right. Right. Uh, there, there are, ser- there's a series of events wherein, uh, a group of drug dealers is trying to find the correct, safest way to launder money. And at the level they are operating at, uh, they are looking for a business that primarily moves a lot of cash. And so one of the would-be businesses is a laser tag place, as Noel points out. Uh, and then they also eventually settle on a car wash, another place that usually uh, uses a lot of cash rather than credit or debit cards. The most common types of criminals who need to launder money are, of course, drug traffickers, right? Mm-hmm. But the, they're not the only people. There are also corrupt politicians, embezzlers, terrorists. Yeah. Mobsters who shook some money out of some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Racketeers. And then, uh, which sounds way more friendly and somehow <laughs> shook like, some money out. Yeah. It just makes me think of Mouseketeer. I don't know why. It makes me think of that. Or, or, or that movie, The Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. And yeah. it, it also makes me think of, uh, maybe there's a, a show in Vegas that's mafioso only called The Racketeers. And maybe they on camera shake people down. There's those, you know, those can-can dancers at Radio City Music Hall, the Rackettes. Oh, uh, yeah. I made yeah. that up. It's really? Sure they're called the Rockets. Oh, okay. <laughs> Delete all of this forever. No, it's too late. It's, <laughs> no, on it's already on there. Sorry, all buddy. Right, all right, all right. Uh, so, did you already yeah. mention white-collar, like embezzlement? 
like high level white that's collar a, crimes. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. We touched on that, but let's go into a little more detail. Well, it seems like you have to do this if you're siphoning money out of your the company that you work for, let's say your high level executive, and we've seen this happen at several companies, <clears throat> Enron, a couple others. Um, it seems like you would want to obscure that money as well, and they're going to use the same tactics that a, a drug trafficker is going to use. Yes. Also, one of my favorites, or at least favorite terms, confidence men, scammers, mm. right? Rip-off uh, enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these con men will do the same thing. Regardless, what they do is they, they enter in this money for perhaps uh, into an offshore account of somewhere, you know, someplace, and then filter that through a process called layering, right? So maybe this goes from the offshore account, it goes to another offshore account, or it goes to an account in Europe or an account in the U.S., or uh, maybe they just buy a boat mm-hmm. with this offshore account. And then it goes into what's called the integration phase, wherein it goes to maybe the boat and one of the offshores goes to a U.S. account, or uh, maybe one of these secondary accounts in Europe or in the U.S. or wherever goes into a business investment. So now uh, now Mr. Barnaby from part one is no longer a uh, no longer a purveyor of human trafficking spoils. We get really dark with that one. Yeah, I've actually retired that alias. Uh, yeah. I'm now going by the name Steven Stevenson. Steven Stevenson. OK, cool. Uh, yeah, all right. Steven Stevenson is a whole new man, and he owns a chain of blockbusters in Hungary or something, and that's where he makes all of – that's where he has made his millions. You know, blockbuster's killing it in Hungary right now. <laughs> it's that, this one guy. <laughs> it's that Steve Stevenson magic. Uh, so – so we see this pretty simply, right? Uh, sending the money through various financial transactions to change its form, make it difficult to follow. Musella or Mazer dealt with a lot of this in, uh, in the course of Operation Sea Chase. And then the integration th- stage where it enters the mainstream economy and it looks legit. You know, it's a bunch of Hungarian blockbusters or something. Uh, this, this means that you can use the money if you're a criminal without getting caught at this point, if you successfully integrate, because it's very, very difficult to catch a launderer during the integration stage if there's no documentation all the way back to the, the original point, you know. So we mentioned white-collar crime. We mentioned drug trafficking. We mentioned terrorist activities, and we mentioned some of the methods of of this, right? Uh, I can walk us through a money laundering uh, thing called smurfing. Sounds great. That? Yeah. Okay. This is, wait, I, I remember hearing about this. Smurfing is when you break up the amount. Say you've got a million dollars, whatever. Let's say a million dollars. Okay. You're gonna break it up into a bunch of smaller payments of let's say nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. Because there's a $10,000 limit when you're operating in this dark money field. Because if you hit that $10,000, you're going to get pinged. No matter where you're trying to move that money. Um, I tried to move $10,000 of savings one time when I went to buy. I know this is a personal thing, but when I tried to put a down payment on my house. Uh-huh. And it got pinged. And the person told me, well, why don't you break it up into two payments of $5,000 just so you don't have to go through all the hassle. 
And for anyone who wants to do that. Right. So at $10,000, every U.S. bank has to report any transaction. Yes. And and then there's all kinds of paperwork you have to get into. Yeah. So the Smurfs, the origin of this name, the Smurfs are the multiple people who deposit these below $10,000 amounts in different bank accounts, one or more bank accounts. And some of our audience members who maybe work in a financial or banking system are familiar with this, and we would love to hear your stories if you've met some Smurfs. That term was also used in Breaking Bad, again, for the folks that would go out and buy just the legal amount of pseudoephedrine, which is the precursor for making methamphetamine. Ah, And so there were, there were like, you would get flagged or you would not, you would have, they would report you for buying, you know, a certain amount. And if you just go out and buy just below that amount, and you get a bunch of people doing it, who they call Smurfs, then you get enough to make your batch. So that's, that's great. Yeah. And there are a couple of other things that there are a couple of other, I guess, avenues we should call them, where wherein dirty money can be cleaned or laundered. There are alternative banking institutions of sorts, uh, many that are traditional, like the Hawala system in Pakistan and India. Uh, these are trust-based systems that don't have a paper trail. They out, they operate outside of government control. And then, of course, there's one of my, uh, as a kid, this is one of my favorite ideas, shell companies, you know, a corporation that is a PO box in some country that's very good at not paying close attention to business transactions. And these companies exist for no other reason than to clean money. So they'll take in money as a payment for some kind of good or service. Let's call it yacht maintenance, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Murdoch Farnsworth's yacht maintenance business. Right. And what that does is allow people to say that they spent this money. Right. To yep. get their yacht fixed, their non-existent yacht. And it doesn't have to be a fake company doing that. You can do it in a real, a real company that just handles cash. Like, like kind of we talked about earlier, mm. which is crazy. You could, you could walk into a casino if you know the guys and you have a little deal just because the casino deals with cash. So often you just go, well, you know, here's some cash that came into the casino today. Yeah, and those are a little different because they're, they're front companies. So they, yeah, they are obvious, like they're legitimate ways to do this. They're actually providing a good or a service. And there are two ways to do that. We could either, you like how all three of us now are working together to launder money. Actually, do you like how all of us are working together now, (laughs) listeners? You're part of this. If you're a cop, you have to tell us, which is technically not true, by the way. So (laughs) don't believe any of your friends who say that. But there are two ways to do this, generally, if we're talking about a front company rather than a shell company. Oh, and just a side note, the thing I loved, the reason I love the idea of shell companies is because when I was very young and there were shell gas stations around, and I thought, wow, they must be running drugs or doing something bad. And no one knows. I thought I had it figured out. <laughs> you know what a shell uh, company was back then? <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Uh, I was, I was like, yeah, that's genius. No one will ever investigate them. I was wrong on all accounts. <laughs> but so there are two ways we want to do a legitimate front end business. And one way is to deal with a business that make, uses so much money, so much, uh, cash or electronic funds that it's easy to slip some 
bad apples into the into the bushel into the basket and those would be things like you said Matt like a casino or a brokerage firm or you can use the smaller stuff that often uses cash just in its day to day we could name a few we said car washes that's one bars check cashing stores and america's favorite strip clubs oh yeah right yeah, lots of lots of ones lots of ones lots of lots of 2 dollar bills I don't know. Are those common? So the, the effects about this, uh, we, we have Mr. Mazur talking a little bit about the effects of money laundering. When it gets larger and larger, what happens is international banks become involved. So BCCI was the seventh largest bank in the world, as Mr. Mazur said in his previous interview. But BCCI is far from the only bank that has been involved with this. For instance, uh, we talked a little bit about some banks in the past. Yeah, he hits Wachovia, a huge scandal there. Uh, we hit HSBC in the interview, and Mr. Mazur goes into pretty good detail on both of those, saying exactly what they did. Well, guys, I think we should probably get to Mr. Mazur himself as he um, lived this, all of the things that we're talking about. And uh, there's still some very interesting things to say yet in this interview. But before we get to that, we're just going to take a quick break for a sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The 
This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. So you mentioned that this is occurring now. And you'd also mentioned in the past, I think it was 1991, you did an interview with the New York Times and you spoke about the hundreds of leads that were not followed up after the Sea Chase investigation. And it, it makes me wonder what would have been uncovered if they would have followed those leads. And could it possibly have kind of stopped some of what we're seeing today? Hmm. Okay. The first part, I got the, the leads part. The first part of your, oh, is it still happening today? <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely still happening today because we've got the scourge of illegal drugs all over the world uh, to a greater degree than we've ever had it before. Um, you know, the United Nations on Drugs and Crime did a study a few years ago trying to identify uh, the amount of money seeking secrecy from governments, the amount of money seeking money laundering services every year. And in that study that they did, and you can get that just on the Internet, uh, just put in UNODC, uh, United Nations on Drugs and Crime, um, money laundering, um, just look for some other keywords, but <clears throat> long and short of it is, they identified that the annual drug proceeds, illegal drug proceeds, was somewhere in the vicinity of about $400 billion. And if you look at the Department of Justice Asset Forfeiture website, you can see what the annual forfeitures are for the Department of Justice. Keep in mind that that's for all kinds of cases. So pharmaceutical uh, uh, fines against pharmaceuticals for uh, different types of offenses, um, Medicare, Medic, uh, fraud, all kinds of different things are in there. You boil it down to the drug money and it comes down to, you can, there's no way you could say it's more than a billion a year. So 400 billion versus a billion, that's one fourth of 1%. Um, clearly, uh, there are professionals that are involved helping people to, in a sophisticated way, launder this money. Otherwise, we'd be finding more than one-fourth of one percent. Um, if you want to look at the deferred prosecutions um, that have happened, and we, even if we just stick to those that relate to drug proceeds, you know, you have in 2012 the HSBC case. Um, and in that instance, um, just Google uh, Senator um, Elizabeth Warren, HSBC, um, YouTube, and you'll you'll get to hear our own senators talking about how atrocious it is in their view that uh, a bank can launder nearly a billion dollars and nobody goes to jail and uh, they pay a 1.92 billion dollar fine. 
Um, that's just a few years ago. Before that, you have Wachovia Bank uh, paid a $160 million fine. What were they doing? They had no branches in Mexico. What they did is they sent their account executives from Philadelphia, Miami to Sinaloa and other areas of Mexico to deal with uh, houses of exchange, casas de cambio, as correspondent bank relationships. And what they did is they, they wound up taking $14 billion in cash deposits uh, and bringing it in over a period of about three years back into the United States. They did that on uh, by, by having the cash brought in by armored cars and flown in, gone, going to counting houses uh, established by the bank in different parts of the United States. I know one of them was in California. Um, tell me how it is that you don't have any branches in Mexico, but you decide to market that business. You bring in $14 billion. I, I was a money launderer undercover. My money that we got from my clients were in five, tens, and twenties, so it's a big bundle. Uh, if it was $20 bills and $14 billion, I think I did the math and it came out to about 780 tons. So who'd you get the 780 tons of cash from? You know, you look at the HSBC base, uh, they were repatriated in U.S. currency $106 billion, $106 billion. So if that was 20s, it comes out to about, I think it was 5,800 tons. So um, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand how we we wind up um, dealing in this bulk banknote business uh, the way we have historically, <clears throat> and um, and we don't wind up with uh, very big of a change, you know, in the in the overall picture, uh, in the way of the, uh, the how deep the talons of the the cartels are into um, uh, into the drug trade. Um, and, you know, and things have actually gotten worse in the last, or I would say in the last seven or eight years, because now there's a body of cases that clearly show that the uh, that terrorist organizations are working closely with the Colombian cartels and the Mexican cartels. And you can look at a case, the last name is Juma, J-O-U-M-A-A. Iman, A-Y-M-A-N, Juma, J-O-U-M-A-A. So Google that in drug trafficking. Um, Mr. Juma is a Lebanese Colombian um, who uh, was very instrumental in um, the exportation of about 300 tons of cocaine and the laundering of about a half a billion dollars in drug proceeds. And um, when the funds were traced in that case, um, there were definitely portions of the drug proceeds that went into accounts that have been substantiated to have been used by Hezbollah for uh, terrorist-related activity. So we have Hezbollah, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, and other organizations that have recognized this as a way to uh, generate revenue uh, for their uh, illegal activities. So um, yes, this stuff is still going on. That's part of why I, I feel it's so important to share this information with the world. Um, there's a couple of reasons I think it's so important. One, I think it's extraordinarily important because this case was a team effort. I'd say at the, at the height of the operation, 250 or more. There are a lot of Bob Mazers out there. There are literally dozens of people who volunteer to work long-term undercover because they want to be a part of making a difference and they want to serve the public. Um, and and I think we lose sight of that in today's day and age for some strange reason. Um, we don't realize that there are people out there who they're not eager to do this, but if it should happen, are committed 
to give their life for us, just like soldiers on a battlefield. Um, and the greatest majority of the law, members of the law enforcement community, in my view, are good and honorable people who are prepared to make that sacrifice. Uh, and, and today especially, when we look at, <clears throat> unfortunately in every profession, I'm sure in journalism as well, you know, you have a bell curve of life and you have some people who are probably shouldn't be journalists. Well, we've got them in law enforcement too. And when they do something stupid, um, I think it's really so unfair to paint the, that stupidity on the entire profession um, because the greatest majority of people out there are truly willing to give their lives for you and your families to give you a better place uh, to live and to give the world a better place to exist. So <clears throat> that's a part of it. And the other part of it is to make sure that the American public knows that this is an, a constant problem. The equation we're using is the best thing I guess we figured we can come across, but if things are getting worse, maybe we need to reassess what the equation is um, because we can't continue to allow governments to become corrupted and we can't continue to allow um, a lot of people to get extraordinarily sick um, from the use of illegal drugs. So something needs to be done. And something that my experience to date tells me is that the equation can benefit substantially from an added amount of education, treatment, and economic opportunity, at least in this country. Um, I think that could make a, I think that could make a, a positive add-on to the formula that we now have. I think it's really an opportunity through this film to be entertained, but it's also an opportunity to use that platform to talk about the issues because these are issues that affect each and every one of us. Yeah, and we really appreciate the the message that you are sending with this uh, regarding the um, what, what's the old definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different yeah. results, right? Um, <laughs> so, so, Mr. Mazur, what is what, in your opinion, uh, you talked a little bit about education, right, and treatment. What, in your opinion, should change in terms of policy or legislation to prevent this situation where banks are essentially seeing these fines as a cost of doing business tax? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it goes to the same thing we can say about the wrongdoing in the law enforcement community, individual responsibility. Holding people responsible for their acts, people, not institutions. Please don't try to tell me, as I've seen people within the government try to tell the American public, um, and this this was said um, when it was determined by the Department of Justice that the appropriate disposition of the HSBC case was simply a fine of $1.92 billion. Um, when someone tried to suggest that you have to understand that these are very complicated statutes in order to uh, apply individual responsibility for the violation of, and this is just legal speak in my mind, um, intentionally failing to maintain an anti-money laundering compliance program. Well, if you're going to use an obscure statute like that, I can see how you might be able to make those arguments. But, you know, the Department of Justice in 1986 and Congress in 1986 gave us the opportunity to use the money laundering statute. And I don't know why it wasn't applied. It's not very complicated. What it says is if you know that money comes from a specified unlawful source, 
and one of those is drug trafficking. There's a long list of specified unlawful, unlawful activity. But if you know it came from a specified unlawful activity and you do anything to conceal and disguise the source of the funds, guess what? You just committed money laundering. It's a 20-year offense, and I believe it's a $500,000 fine. That's the statute that is most applicable in these cases. And one of the problems we face is that the way we go about working these things oftentimes comes on the heels of regulators who are looking at records three years old. Um, it's a real challenge to be able to prove what was in the mind of the person that carried out the transaction three years ago. So these long-term undercover operations that capture on tape exactly what people know at the time the transactions were done is a pretty darn effective tool. We don't use it enough. There are a lot of other things that we don't I mean, I've written op pieces for the New York Times and others about how it is that I would recommend that we really seriously think about readjusting how we go after money launderers. Um, but you know, the, the long and short of it is the, we, we seem to be, as you said, uh, doing the same thing over and over and over again and not being willing to open our mind into um, the idea of perfecting, you know, improving uh, the, the approach. It seems like right now, more than ever, we're experiencing something of a sea change in terms of prohibition of drugs, uh, specifically with, with marijuana. A lot of um, areas are moving away from that, decriminalizing and outright you know, legalizing. What do you see as, as the benefits and, of course, the dangers of decriminalizing uh, and even legalizing drugs, perhaps ones that are more insidious than something like marijuana? Yeah. Well, I, I'm not willing to go past the marijuana discussion on that because I don't I don't understand a, a society that would really be promoting the idea of methamphetamine, heroin um, um, and a lot of other even more dangerous drugs um, out on the streets. But, um, you know, when it comes to marijuana, let's take a close look at what's occurring um, in Washington and Colorado and in a few other states that have uh, across the board legalized. Um, you and often, oftentimes you have a limited number of licenses for the production, and you have people coming from uh, many different corners to buy. And so, let's not forget the old adage of uh, economics 101 from college: supply and demand. Um, when you have a limited supply, um, your price is going to go up. So, the price that's being offered uh, or being charged for high-end um, marijuana um, is probably, not probably, in fact is, substantially higher than what you can get on the black market in the same locations um, because they don't have the problem of licensing and all, of, all the other issues that are going on. So, in effect, we've kind of created um, uh, green zones for the cartels um, in, in these areas. Um, but, you know, I really do believe that if you haven't educated and provided adequate treatment to your citizens, and now you're going to open the floodgates, and you're going to contemplate the idea of just legalizing all kinds of illegal drugs across the board, I, I don't see a pretty ending to that whatsoever. I've been on a lot of shows in the last several years, and some profess to be libertarian. And when I say my concerns about that, I get the comeback from them, well, isn't that a good thing? I mean, basically, these people will just all die off, and, and we won't have this problem. I, that's not a part of my thinking. Uh, I, I don't embrace that whatsoever. Um, so I, I think the problem is a little bit more complicated than just um, making it available 
across the board. I think, number one, we need to get into education and treatment so that we can get the demand down. And, and number two, if we're going to get into legalization, let's try to get ourselves organized on the on the marijuana side before we start thinking about, um, I don't know if you you guys know anybody who's used methamphetamine, but um, I, I've seen pictures of them and I've, me, I've met them. I, I met them because, you know, when you're a cop, you do. And um, after about two or three experiences, uh, it owns them. Uh, I don't want my doctor uh, being involved in that. And I, of course, one would say, well, the drugs are readily available, even though they're illegal. So, you know, if they want to get involved in it, they can. And I understand all those arguments, but I just can't see condoning as a society um, on a broad basis, making really dangerous drugs available to um, to a population uh, on a statewide sanctioned basis. I, I just I, I, I can't do it. Maybe it's because I was a cop too long. Robert, thank you so much for talking with us so far, man. Uh, it's been quite enlightening. We really appreciate it. Uh, we are coming up at the, to the end of our time that we have with you. And we, I just want to ask you if there's one thing that you could leave with the audience today, uh, what would it be? I think all of these issues we're talking about boil down to individual responsibility. I look at the problems that we have out there today, uh, and the backlash of bad conduct by a few police officers um, and how we're trying to deal with it. Um, some people try to deal with it, um, indicting an entire profession. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't some reflections that shouldn't be done across the board, but let's let's try to let's try to, to move more toward individual responsibility. I think that's going to help in the money laundering world, individually responsible people, those people who are involved in turning hundreds of billions of dollars into legitimate businesses that corrupt governments around the world. Um, we need to, we need to let the people know who are involved in that type of activity that if they do that, they're going to go to jail. They're not just going to go to jail. They're going to go to jail for a real long period of time. Uh, until we get that, we're, we are not going to have a lot of people out there who are going to be afraid to do that type of stuff. Um, and I think you can apply that to, to most of the basic, uh, problems that we've been, we've been talking about, individual responsibility and, and, uh, and not painting uh, with such a broad brush, um, on all these issues. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Well, there you have it. That was a lot of fun. I mean, definitely went to some pretty dark places. Um, it really makes you wonder how much of this is going on at the same level, if not worse than it was when, when Mazer was doing, you know, his, uh, his, his operation. And it, it, it's sort of like one of these things where you see someone making such a huge difference in a particular time, but does it make a huge difference long-term? You know, there's just always new ways of getting around these things. The bank's, are not getting any less corrupt. You know, like he was talking about this toothless prosecution. Mm-hmm, right. These banks, you know, can afford to pay these fines. It is, as he said, the cost of doing business. And until somehow we change the just the foundation of this capitalist system where money is always better than less money. Right. <laughs> you know, what's good? I don't understand. You know, I don't I don't know what the answer is, guys. It, it left me I want. I hate to say it, but it left me not not particularly hopeful. I feel like he kind of gave us an answer there, and it's jail the bankers, jail the people who you can who you can directly connect with going through the these processes. And you know, I gotta say, I pretty, I think I agree with him. I think uh, that's that's where we need to go. Also, must point out that in these actions, it, it's so easy to paint a broad brush and say, you know the drug dealers or the bankers, uh, we have to remember that in organizations of this size, 
you know, the, the people who are out there, for instance, harvesting coca leaves, they're not living high on the hog by any means. The people who are the tellers at the branch of your local bank or credit union overwhelmingly have nothing to do with this. Uh, so just because someone works at a bank doesn't necessarily make them an international supervillain. However, at the top, there clearly are people who are doing things like HSBC did uh, to pay a fine of a little less than $2 billion mm-hmm. after admitting money laundering to see no consequences of that action. And right now, uh, the... Illegal drug trade accounts for an estimated 8% of all international trade. So that's almost 10% of all the stuff traveling around this planet is gonna, is, is going to be, uh, in financial terms, some kind of, uh, illegal substance. And what, will need to be laundered. And, will, and the money behind it will need to be laundered. So there is a demand for this kind of business. We mentioned Bank of America, also Western Union, J.P. Morgan. And oddly enough, this is a little bit of a different discussion than we touched on in a previous episode. But oddly enough, you guys, apparently banks in the U.S. are being very unhelpful to uh, to legalized marijuana businesses. Well, yeah, they, they've got a hand, uh, they got skin in the game there. There was a, a quote from the film by the character played by Benjamin Bratt, Roberto Alcano, Alcano, where he said, if your country didn't have my money, your economy would collapse, which I think he may have been right, which is pretty scary. He was, he was one of the main, uh, Escobar money men. And again, the film we're talking about is The Infiltrator. Um, we didn't really talk about that one in this episode so much as we did the last one, in case you missed it. It's worth checking out. It should be coming out, um, I believe, any day now. Oh, oh well, come on, though. We we were pretty clear at the beginning. If anybody's listening to the end of this, then surely you've already listened to episode one. I would hope so. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes people don't follow instructions. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm pretty terrible at I following instructions. Yeah. We just sort of wing it every time. So... So that is the situation uh, as it stands today. Uh, one of the things that Mr. Mazur obviously has uh, obviously sees as an error in policy is the use of deferred prosecution, right? Removing the consequences uh, removes any incentive to obey the law. Unfortunately, Although I believe every person has the potential to be amazing and astonishing and noble and moral and all, all that slow jazz. Unfortunately, people often only don't do horrible things because consequences exist. In a world without consequences or a situation without consequences, people can turn into animals and it's very easy to rationalize those actions. And how fascinating is it that corporations can't be prosecuted as though they were individuals, but yet can give money to political campaigns as if they were. It's a little counterintuitive to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely feel you there. And so concludes, for the moment, our series on money laundering on the underground narcotics trade. And we have in the course of this exploration, found so many other things that are captivating. If you haven't seen it yet, we'd love for you to check out our recent uh, video on Narco Saints, 
on the religious practices of criminals around the world. Definitely a lot to chew on there. Um, we really appreciate Mr. Mazur making the time to talk with us, and um, I think we got a lot out of it. Got two episodes out of it, which is cool. And I'm going Certainly. on vacation next week, so... Sucker. Good luck, man. I will see you back in that chair. But before you go, there's one last thing you got to help us out with. I think I know what that might be. Shout out corners. First order of business. Shout out one goes to Jen Jones. Hi, guys. I just listened to your sleep paralysis episode and wanted to share my own experiences. I experienced it a bit differently than most. I have never felt like someone is choking me or seen any apparitions at the foot of my bed. Very, very common description of these sleep paralysis scenarios, of which we got a metric ton of via email, which was great to hear people um, sharing their experience with us. Instead says Jen. I lay completely still, very aware of where my body is, with the overwhelming feeling that I need to wake up immediately or something is going to get inside my body before I can return to consciousness. Often, after a bout of this, I will find strange bruises and scratches either on my wrists or ankles, depending on which limb was closest to the edge of my bed. Anyway, thanks for the show. Then she asks for a shout-out. So, Jen, this is a definitely unique... um, scenario mm-hmm. with the sleep paralysis and I find it fascinating. I, I have no explanation for this. Yeah, shout out to you, Jen, if indeed it is you writing. And our next shout out goes to Keith R., also known as The Venomous Moose. Of course. Uh, Keith says, I've been listening to your podcast a lot and have been going through past episodes and I listened to the Does the UK Control the US episode the day before yesterday as he writes this. So after being saddened that next month might not really be Independence Day, sob in sarcasm. He's killing it with the indications here. I'm getting the tone. He says, I caught on to the city of London and what that is. Imagine my surprise when reading an article about Brexit that the city of London wanted to remain in the EU. That phrase would have slipped by the uninitiated, but now I'm more clued into world events because of your podcast, and I am aware. Props to you, Mr. Venomous. Well, props to you, Mr. Venomous, and thanks so much uh, for checking out the show the uk controlling the us is a pretty interesting topic the city of london is bizarre i know we've mentioned before just how strange it is but man i want to visit there are uh, you know there are opportunities to visit uh if you're the queen you have to ask permission to go but i think we can probably just go i'm down yeah and if anybody out there you know wants to host a couple of uh Traveling podcasters, um, just hit us up on uh, conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Yeah, couple ragtag yanks, three ragtag yanks. And the final shout-out today goes to Tyler A., which says, hey, guys, long-time listener here. I've been following China's island-building habits in the South China Sea for a, for a while, and I thought, hey, this topic would be interesting for you guys to do an episode on. There's a reason that... They're building the islands in the South China Sea. Tyler says the islands have a long history going all the way back to the Potsdam Conference, and the area has been a hotbed of controversy since then. In most recent news, The Hague has ruled that China has no sovereignty over the area but lacks resources to enforce such a controversial ruling, prompting mobilization of naval forces on behalf of the U.S., which... Uh, in my eyes is pretty troubling. So that's, this is something that we touched on during the World War III, ways World War III may start video when we did that and we touched on some of that on audio as well. And it's a bit disconcerting to see it happening in real life, Ben. 
the way things are unfolding? Right. So the case uh, that we're referring to in the UN or the Hague uh, was a comes from an international tribunal called the Permanent Court of Arbitration. And what they did, and the, the next big step here is they declared China's historic claims in the South China Sea invalid. Uh, this was a pretty wide-ranging, clear-cut ruling that surprised a lot of people who watch uh, international affairs or especially watch this region. The case dates back to 2013. The Philippines filed the case when China grabbed control of a reef called the Scarborough Shore. It's about 220 miles northwest of Manila, or for everybody outside of the U.S., Myanmar, and Namibia, it's 350 kilometers. Uh, so the thing is, about a third of the world's trade passes through the sea lanes of the South China Sea, including most of China's oil imports, and the, the ground under it has vast reserves of oil and gas, but... Uh, there's a growing military presence on the Chinese side. Uh, the U.S. has two aircraft carriers in there recently. And there's a live fire exercise that China's Navy was recently staging. So what we're seeing here is the idea of rule-based international order. At least that's how the West would argue it. And the Chinese view of what are seen as historic rights that trump current global laws. And the issue of historic rights or claims to land or resources come up in repeated and tragic instances throughout world history, right? So who actually owns the land upon which people reside? Uh, who has a more uh, historically legitimate claim to some piece of soil or a kilometer of ocean or river? And unfortunately, this kind of stuff is rarely concluded in a civilized or mutually respectful fashion. Uh, and you can point to numerous other instances of it occurring right now in the world in which we live. And if that precedent uh, for most other cases uh, remains the same, then there's there's probably not going to be um, an end to this situation as ideal to all these uh, to all the involved parties. So the Chinese argument is that. In centuries and centuries in the past, uh, Chinese seafarers discovered and named islands in the region and that the country of China itself has ancestral fishing rights there. Uh, so there's also uh, internal propaganda going on about this. In July, a state television company in China began a miniseries about the experience of Chinese fishermen in the 1940s enforcing, coincidentally, China's view of the South China Sea. Uh, so what what these rights are said to be defined by is what was called a nine-dash line. It's still usually called that, even though in 2013 it became a ten-dash line to bring Taiwan into the fold. Uh, this, this takes up about, it extends about 1,500 kilometers from the southern coast of China and maps out all of the all of the sea in that area. So countries that have borders along that sea, like the Philippines or um other Southeast Asian countries, 
are or Japan as well, uh, obviously think this is cutting into their piece of the oceanic pie. So the, the reason they think that is because due to the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, countries have what's called an exclusive economic zone, or EEZ, that goes up to 200 nautical miles, or again, for anybody outside of the United States, Myanmar, and Namibia, 370 kilometers off their coast or around their islands. So it is true that China has been building artificial islands to reinforce these uh, claims. Anyway, we could talk about this for a while, but the situation is clearly unsustainable and it's unfortunately not a unique situation. Thanks so much for writing to us, Tyler. And if you would like to write to us, you can do it in the usual ways. You can do it via Facebook, where we are Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. You can do it via Twitter, where we are at Conspiracy Stuff. Uh, we have an Instagram now, which we've been getting a little bit of love on, which is lovely. Um, <laughs> we've been trying to post a little bit more, and I think we might just uh, do a post after we finish recording the show. I think it's a um, great idea. Yeah, and so, you know, we have a little caption contests and things like that. It's a fun way to stay in touch. Um, and if none of that does it for you, what, what else is there, guys? Well, first of all, you have to say, it's conspiracy stuff show. That's, ah, that's true. People on have been, Instagram. Yeah, if you're having a hard time finding it, it is conspiracy stuff show. Yes, and if you don't want to do any of that stuff, you just want to write to us with your suggestions because our best shows always begin in your brains and then come out through our mouths. Somehow that sounds odd, but that's how it happens. Uh, you can write to us. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 
Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. 